But we're glad that you're here. Uh, I'm excited to get into the Word of God. We have been going through, uh, we've been going through a process, uh, going through the, the books of the, what we call the minor prophets. Now, they're not minor because they're minor in importance, but they're, they're minor because most of them are a little shorter than the, um, what, the, the, the major prophets. Major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and throw in uh, Lamentations as well into that. But we're walking through the minor prophets, and uh, today we are going to be going through the book of Zephaniah. Now, to go through an entire book in one sermon is a, probably not the smartest idea in lots of ways, but the idea is to help you when you read these books for you to be able to maybe get a better understanding of what they're all about. Now, I want to tell you, I ran into a roadblock uh, when I was reading Zephaniah. Now, I've read Zephaniah, but uh, when I was reading Zephaniah, I I ran into a roadblock right about verse 2. And so I've I've been praying about how how do you approach this book? And I really, honestly, I think, honestly, I think this could be a life-changing sermon for you. Now, I, I like to think every sermon is going to be life-changing, but this one, I, especially, it could be that this will change your life. Certainly, no doubt, it will change the way you look at some of these minor prophets, because uh, I, I believe I have a helpful key to understanding the minor prophets. Because look at, look at Zephaniah chapter 1 and verse 1. It starts off real nice. You know, telling who Zephaniah is. And, and it says, The Lord gave this message to Zephaniah when Josiah, a son of Ammon, was king of Judah. Zephaniah was son of Cushi, the son of uh, got, uh, this other guy, and son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah. So he was the great-great-grandson of King Hezekiah. Not in the royal line. He wasn't... Uh, Manasseh was the son of Hezekiah that was part of the royal line, but uh, it was this other uh, son of Hezekiah named Amariah that Zephaniah came from. And look at verse 2. Like, he gets started, you go, okay, I got, I got, the, I got the context, King, uh, King Josiah's time, and, and here's this guy who's the great-great-grandson of another great king of Israel. And verse 2 says, I will sweep away everything from the face of the earth, says the Lord. Now, isn't that a great way to start? Oh, this just blesses me. When I love coming to church because I get blessed, right? I love reading the Bible because I get blessed. Well, this has a way of, it will have a way, I believe, of being a blessing. Verse 3, I will sweep away people and animals alike. I'll sweep away the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea. I'll reduce the wicked to heaps of rubble. And I'll wipe humanity from the face of the earth, says the Lord. And The next slide says, I will crush Judah and Jerusalem with my fist. Whoa. I will will destroy every last trace of their Baal worship. I'll put an end to the idolatrous priests so that even the memory of them will disappear. For they go up to their roofs and they bow down to the sun, moon, and stars and they claim to follow the Lord, but then they worship Molech too. Oh my goodness. What what is going on here? Now I I was reading the life or the the story of of um, 
the king Josiah. It's quite an amazing story. And uh, the sad part is, is that his, his uh, changes that he made were needed. At that time, they even had the idolatrous Baal worship and Moloch, not Moloch, uh, the, uh, uh, some of the other, some of the other idolatry right in the temple. And they had to cleanse the temple of the Baal worship. It had gone from being an obscure corner in some, you know, backwoods villages of Judah and Israel and had become institutionalized right into the temple. And then there were kings that were making priests to go out to all the high places and help them worship their false gods too. It had been quite a mess. Now, uh, some of the books of uh, the, the minor prophets are written early on in the time of Judah. This book, Zephaniah, is written near the end of the life of the divided kingdom of Judah. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that, but not a whole lot. But um, there was a, a very helpful uh, sort of expression that I found. I just want to read it for you, and that's the next slide. Zephaniah contains very intense images of God's justice, which is a passion to rescue his world from human evil and violence, the images of justice and love, which is to create a world where everyone can flourish in safety and peace. And so the beginning of the book, so often it is the case with these minor prophets, the beginning of the book, it starts off with judgment. This one, it's probably the award winner of, of the judgment part starting off quick. I mean, verse 2, you can't get any, well, you could do verse 1, but, you know, then it's, well, what's going on? At least you have the guy's name and what time he's in. Uh, and then verse 2, he starts off and he's going to blow up everything. Now, with with Zephaniah, this actually this actually happened. There was a time where there was national repentance, and so what happened? It was just like this promise in Zephaniah chapter three, and again, it's it's a little it's very cryptic and it's very poetic and and metaphoric in nature. That's the way prophetic words are are spoken. This actually happened, by the way. This. This great destruction happened not long after Josiah lived, not long after Zephaniah lived, when Babylon came and destroyed the the city. of. And I believe there's also going to happen another time when God judges the whole face of the world. And that, of course, is um, coming up at, at the second coming of Jesus Christ, what we call Judgment Day. There's a day of judgment coming. And uh, there will be those who escape judgment... And there will be those who don't. We think of um, John 3.16. Anybody have John 3.16 memorized? You know, there's a promise of judgment in John John 3.16. We think it's such a nice verse, right? God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish. There's judgment right there in your favorite verse of Scripture, but have everlasting life. And so, so anyways, there's this, uh, there's this God's judgment and God's love, this tandem that's happening in most every one of the prophetic 
books, including this one. By the way, we know this is Old Testament, and uh, this is the Old Testament, and it's judgment, and, you know, we're New Testament Christians, right? But Jesus himself said, you cannot, you cannot dismiss the prophets. And he said, in fact, he says, not one word of the prophets will fail. And uh, so we need to understand these things. Zephaniah 3 uh, and verse 9, here's a promise now for those who are repentant. He said, God said, I will purify the speech of all my people so that everyone can worship the Lord together. Verse 11, uh, I will remove all proud and arrogant people from among you. Sing, verse 14, sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Now, it's, of course, it says daughter of Jerusalem. And us guys, we're daughters of Jerusalem, too, if we are people of faith. Okay? So, welcome to identity confusion. But, uh, no, that's a bad, that's a bad illustration, isn't it? But, you know, God calls you women sons of God in the Bible. And God calls us men daughters of Zion. It's okay. It's just meant to be including all people. All people are included. Anyone who will confess the Lord Jesus. Verse 15, the Lord himself, the King of Israel, will live among you. And that's the heart of God, that he will be with his people. That's his purpose. That's his passion. God loves his house. God loves his people and wants to be among us. At last, it says, your troubles will be over and you will never again fear disaster. And uh, verse 16 says, cheer up, Zion. Don't be afraid. Now, let me just say one thing about Zion, clearly. But the, the significance of Zion is that that is the place where New Testament worship happened in the Old Testament. That is the place where King David, he took the ark of God and he made a place for it, a tent for it in a place in Jerusalem called Mount Zion. And that was separate from the tabernacle of Moses where all the sacrifices were. It was a totally separate place. And for almost 40 years, there was this time where there was this, what we would call New Testament worship. It was basically just people could come to the presence of the Lord. And that's what we do when we worship God. And then later when the temple was built under King Solomon's time, they took the ark from Zion and brought it into the temple. Uh, but there was that, that's the significance of Zion. Otherwise, there really isn't much significance to Zion. So don't let your, if you have a more modern translation, just make sure uh, in mine, at least it has a footnote every time it does that. It says, okay, in the Hebrew, it's actually Zion. But so that's the, the, the sons and daughters of Zion. That's the people who know the presence of the Lord. That's you and me. Because God said, I, I'm going to meet, I'm going to live among you. Now that it points to a heavenly time after the second coming of Christ, but it's also, we have what's called the, uh, the down payment, the earnest of our inheritance in the King James Version, the Holy Spirit, God's presence living in us. And, uh, there should be a little more dancing, even though you're seated. Because this is good news. This is the very presence of Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, living within us and among us. Come on, church. This is really good. You don't hear this message out there. 
we need to hold on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to this, and get for, I'm getting ahead of myself. So there's this, there's this, uh, this contrast and this sort of two-pronged message in most of these books, including Zephaniah, where there's the, the judgment of God being stretched out, and there's the blessing of God being prophesied as well. Now, uh, I, I would like to kind of change gears and talk about something that's not in this book. That's in the Bible. That's just not in uh, Zephaniah. And I want to talk to you today about the conquest of Canaan, how Israel came out of Egypt through the desert and uh, began to uh, inhabit the land of Canaan, which was their promised land. And uh, if you understand this concept and understand the, uh, I, I want to read this here. Where, where am I? If we understand this, you will understand Israel and Judah's issues as found in Zephaniah and the other minor prophets. This is very important. This is a very important concept. If you get this concept, you'll understand what's going on and why would God start off the book with, I'm going to wipe everything out. <laughs> why, why does God seem so mad? Well, there's a reason. And the reason is actually going to be evident here as we kind of go through this. And then we're also going to sort of up the ante. But if, you, if we'll take a look, we'll start in the book of Numbers where God is giving instructions while the people of Israel are in the desert getting ready to conquest and take over the land of Canaan. Okay, He's giving them instructions. And now here are the instructions from Numbers chapter 33, verse 51 to 55. He says, when you cross the Jordan River into the land of Canaan, you must drive out the people living there. You must destroy all their carved and molten images and demolish all their pagan shrines, take possession of the land and settle in it because I have given it to you to occupy. Now, there's politically incorrect stuff going on here, but we have to listen to the voice of God, not the voice of popular culture. Thank you. Anyone else want to say amen to that? That was a good, that was a good little side note there, almost tweetable. Uh, if I could remember it, I'd tell you again. Uh, if you fail to drive out, verse 55, if you fail to drive out the people who live in the land, those who remain there will be like splinters in your eyes and thorns in your sides, and they will harass you in the land where you live. Okay, that's numbers. Now we fast forward to Judges, which is after Joshua, right? There's Joshua with the conquest of Canaan. It was not quite finished when Joshua died. He said, keep going, boys. And then in the book of Judges, uh, there's this sort of horrible uh, thing said to, the, to them, uh, the people of God there. Uh, verse 2 of chapter 2 of Judges. For your part, you were not to make any covenants with the people living in this land. Instead, you were to destroy their altars, but you disobeyed my commands. Why did you do this? I told you, if you don't, do it right, you're going to really come to regret it. So why didn't you do this? Now, here's, here's God's 
answer to them. Now, verse 3 says this. So now I declare I will no longer drive out the people living in your land. They will be thorns in your sides, and their gods will be a constant temptation to you. This happened. And this was happening all through the, uh, the in and out of the kings of Judah, all the kings of Israel. And some of the kings of Judah did this better than others, and some were more um, uh, sort of uh, uh, passionate about obeying the Lord. But these very gods that they were supposed to destroy, at one point later on in Israel's time, they got taken into the temple and they mixed that worship of the idolatrous gods of that land with the worship of Almighty God. That's what happened. That's why God was so mad in these books. When you read them, you think, oh man, God's a God of love, but what? how does this all fit together? We have to understand that there was a very big mistake made by the people of Israel in not fulfilling the directive from heaven to be able to have sort of a, a pure, worship-filled land of Israel. Now, I just want to talk briefly. The guy up there is, is actually what they made Baal to look like. And the people who worship Baal, and the word Baal actually means owner or lord, and it was all about power. It was all about uh, military might. It was all about money. It was all about success. We have gods of money and success today, incidentally. And what we don't want to have is that in the church. Anyone want to say amen about that one too? The second one was actually Baal's girlfriend, Asheroth. And uh, also, they even came to be so mistaken and so, uh, so wicked that they believed that it was Almighty God the Father, El's girlfriend. And they brought that worship into the temple. That worship was all about uh, procreation. It was all about sexuality. It was all about sensuality and feeling good and fun and happiness. Does that ring a bell in terms of culture in anybody's heart? We don't want that in the church either. (laughs) Impurity. Now, Moloch, that was sort of like the lowest of the low. Moloch, that's the, the idol there that is pictured, and it's, it, it's way worse than you think. There's fires that were made in the bottom of Moloch, and they sacrificed animals and humans to this Moloch worship. And when they didn't get their way, when they didn't get uh, success and what they were actually looking for the first time, you know, if it was just one baby that was uh, sacrificed, they would take a dozen. And if that didn't work, they would take a hundred. There was one story I read about where they had taken these, uh, these, they had taken babies from the, the poorest, most broken back, backward people and taken those. And then one of the you know, prophets of Moloch said, well, actually, you know, that's, that's the reason. It wasn't like, like a, a royal baby. So they took a hundred kids from all the sort of the bureaucrats and princes and princesses and royalty and all that and tried that. 
And, you know, this is the kind of degradation and despicable practices that was, that was happening. And it was happening, do you remember in, in Zephaniah, it, it talks about this in verse uh, 5, chapter 1, verse 5. It says they, they go up on their roofs and they claim to follow the Lord, but they worship Moloch too. This is horrible stuff. This is God's people that had gone so far into the culture. Now, these are the gods, Baal and, and uh, Asherah and Moloch. They were the gods of the day, and they were meant to destroy those things. And they didn't, and it came back, as we say, it came back to bite them. And uh, I, I could keep talking about this, but I I'm, I'm, think I've said enough about that particular idea. So it's back to Zechariah chapter 3. What he says to do here is gather together. Gather yourselves together, you shameful nation, before the decree takes effect. What's decree? I'm going to wipe everything out. Before the decree takes effect and that day passes like a windblown chaff before the Lord's, before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's wrath comes upon you. Verse 3, seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, you who do what he commands, seek righteousness, seek humility, and perhaps you will be sheltered in the day of the Lord's anger. And that actually happened in Josiah's life. Josiah led a great national repentance, and then he, it ended up that Josiah uh, was promised, you will not see this destruction. However, it did happen. It happened to his, I think, great-grandson or grandson, and, uh, and there was this great destruction, but it did not happen in Josiah's life. And that's because of the repentance that he did. So there is that opportunity. There's always that opportunity. Even if the, it sounds like an unconditional declaration of judgment, it doesn't necessarily mean that's the way it is. There's always opportunity for God's people, for you and me, to repent and to change and follow the Lord with our whole heart. And that is the hope, and that is the joy, and that is the message, really, of all of these minor prophets, pretty much, that we've gone through. And that's the message of Zephaniah. Now, here's the, what I believe can be the life-changing part for many of us here today. And uh, if we will understand the conquest of Canaan, again, if we will understand this, this concept of the conquest of Canaan, we will... It, it will, we will be more equipped to deal with ongoing struggles in our life. Okay? And I'm going to talk to you about some of these things. And I'm going to be a little bit in your face, and, and perhaps it will be a sensitive issue with some of you. But I really want to try my best to, without having my own human understanding and without my own human biases in here, but I do want to talk to you about some very specific things that many of us are facing here in this time zone, in our nation, in our culture, and perhaps even among us in our church. So, Lord, I pray right now that your spirit would help us, that you would give us understanding. Lord, I just break off any spirit of condemnation and shame. There's no shame in your house. But, Lord, we pray for joy and freedom to come in Jesus' name. Amen. So 
what are some of the things in our... See, you and I, we've been given an inheritance. We've been given a place. It's our family. It's our, it's our, it's our own house where we live. It's, 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 our, it's our sphere of influence. It's even our nation. We have a stewardship in our nation in terms of, uh, especially with the democracy. You know, why, why is democracy so good? It's because we have opportunity for Christians and for godly people to have a stewardship understanding of the nation. We can pray for our leaders and God will answer our prayers in spite of them. And uh, I, I don't want to be at all negative about our, our leaders. We pray for them. Uh, there's a lot of issues in Canadian values that don't line up with uh, the Word of God. And uh, there, there's an infamous uh, politician in the U.S., very infamous, uh, but half the U.S. pretty much is, is actually for him. And his initials uh, <laughs> are, are, are DT. <laughs> and whether you like him or not, there's at least there's an opportunity. We've seen that there's an opportunity for a voice that's different from the popular culture. That's one good thing I think we can take from, from this brother, this man who is in power in the States. On, on the other hand, some of the stuff he does, I shake my head. So I don't know. It's, that's enough politics right now. And that's not even Canadian politics. I don't even want to start with Canadian politics. However, there's an opportunity. What, what I want us to get out of that is there's an opportunity for an, an optional voice. It's not over we can still rise up as a church. We have an opportunity to pray God's word and God's, uh, God's, uh, God's ways into the heavens at least, and we can also get involved in terms uh, of having a voice politically if that's what God is calling us to do. The people of Israel, they found a way, going back to the, the, the natural, they found a way to coexist with the idolatry and the worldly ways. And they found a way to become comfortable with Baal worship and Asherah worship. And, and they became uh, enslaved, spiritually speaking, to those things that they allowed and they became comfortable with. And the question I want to ask you and me, okay, here's the question. Here's here's the, the, the gut-wrenching, life-changing question is there things, are there things in our life that we have become comfortable with and we have allowed and then what's ended up happening is it's come back to bite us. Oh, I can quit anytime I want. And now I can't because I'm enslaved to this thing. And with all the love and compassion from Almighty God, I want to ask you to consider these things and I do have a partial list here, uh, the, just the, the works of the flesh and, and those things, uh, dissensions and lasciviousness and, and you know, pornography and, and trying to look hot and attract guys because you're hot and all, all that goes around with the culture of sensuality and the things for the, the, the search for power and getting our own way and demanding our own way and wanting our own way and judgments. Uh, how, about, how about 
anxiety disorders. Now, I realize that there's physical aspects to this, and I'm not a, a psychiatrist, and I'm not a psychologist. But for, for sure, let's not become comfortable with our anxiety, okay? Let's, let's at least stand for, uh, we're going to take our meds, and we're going to go to the doctor, and all that kind of stuff. And, and I don't want to go one way or the other too far. But I do want to say this. There are things in the Bible that teach us how to deal with anxiety as well that will be at least part of the solution. And we don't want to forget, don't be anxious for anything, but in all things through prayer, come to God with thanksgiving and let your request be made known to God and whatever things are good and noble and pure, think on those things. See, that's, that's, like that's part of the process of fighting for mental health. And please don't get me wrong. I, there's no condemnation here. There's no... I, things happen. But we need to come to a place where we're not pals. We're not pals with those things. We're not friends. We're not, we're not uh, uh, co- coexisting. Because they, they become institutionalized. And then we get... Uh, excuse me. Then, then, then we become identified you know, like, like our, our grandson struggles with autism. But I'm careful not to say that he's autistic. There's a difference. It just, it's just a subtle difference. One is what he's dealing with. The other one is who he is. And we have to remember who we are in Christ. Okay? I, I, and again, if, if you're struggling with some of these things, please hear me out. I love you. I, I care about you. And I'm not trying to make you feel ashamed. I just want us to, to don't make friends with some of these things. Feeling depressed. I put that carefully because depression is something that's clinical. And, and there's chemicals involved in your brain and all of that. But what came first, the chicken or the egg? I don't know if we're exactly sure if it was, you know, Wrong thinking that brought that chemical imbalance or the chemical imbalance brought the wrong thinking. It doesn't even hardly matter. Let's just remember that's not our friend. That's not our driving force. That's not the one that we want to be with. But this one, it's not on the list there. I thought I'd throw this one out for the same low price. Judgments. You know, we, we evaluate others. And we see them, and sometimes after many years, what even it could be a spouse, it could be, could be your kids or your mom and dad, and you kind of, oh, that's just the way they are. And then we expect them to do something that we don't like, and then we don't like it, and then we get mad. How about get rid of the judgments? Don't make pals with the judgments. Believe, love believes the best about others. That's in your Bible. Oh, here I am preaching at you. This one here, this is a good one. This is, I think, the last example that I have written down. Self-reliance. You know, after a while, you get to know some stuff. And, uh, you know, when I, I really enjoyed it when I was 20 because I knew everything. But even now at 64-ish, uh, I know some things. And it's really easy to be self-reliant. Yeah, I can do that. Of course you can. But let's not rely on our own strength. Let's use the wisdom God has given us and rely on him. It's just a slight change. But after a while, it gets to be all, well, 
did you pray about it? Oh, man, I forgot. I'm just going to let these things sink in for a second. God help us. Okay. We're going to jump into the New Testament right now. But if we understand the conquest of Satan, or sorry, the conquest of Canaan, we, it will help us understand these minor prophets, and it will help us to understand ourselves and maybe get through. Let's not be friends with the, with the culture around us. Like uh, one of the versions talks about in uh, Romans 12, says don't let the world squeeze you into its own mold. The truth of the gospel is very inconvenient for a lot of the thinking out there in the world. Uh, James 4, verses 4 through 8. And again, one of those uplifting scriptures. This one is in the New Testament. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? Now, Jesus said, you know, God loved the world, but we're not supposed to love the world in, in this way that we become the friend and we allow the world's thinking to influence our thinking. It's the other way around. We are called to be influencers in the way that we understand and think about things in the world, the, the way that we think, the values that we hold. We love people. We love all kinds of people, all kinds of, of expressions that, that people might think they, they have, but we value people. We don't always agree with them. Sometimes in the world, any disagreement is now, you know, it, it's now meant to turn into a hate language. And we have to be careful that because we live in the world, but let's not buy into that. Let's remember that there is, uh, there is truth. There is such a thing as objective truth. Some things are simply true and other things are not. And people might believe something that's not true. And we can still love them. We can still accept them. Yeah, I, I could. I, I have. I have. I have a nephew that wants me to call him Rose. Wants me to call him a girl, and that's that's a dilemma. But we still love people. Amen. We love people. Amen. We love people. But we have values. We have ideas. I want to talk about theology. The world has a theology, and there's even theology in the church world. Thankfully, it's changing. There's a, there's a theology in the church. It's called cessationism. And um, we don't use that word very often in our everyday language. But cessationism says that, you know, all spiritual gifts and Holy, Holy Ghost encounters ended with the apostles. And that doctrine was established and codified and taught in many, many Bible colleges, especially in the 50s and 60s, 70s and 80s. And thankfully, there's fewer and fewer cessationists, true cessationists in the world now, in the church world. A lot of my colleagues that over the years, their church families have have actually changed and they don't hang on to that um, false doctrine of cessationism. Why would they come to that? Well, this is how it happens, or at least partly how it happens. People pray for a miracle, and it doesn't happen. So there's disappointment. 
And that disappointment becomes my friend now. I've brought that disappointment into my promised land. And I'm hanging on to it because, after all, it's normal to be disappointed when you don't get the miracle you're after, isn't it? I'm just human. And I'm making pals and I'm coexisting with this disappointment. Now, I've been here. But now that disappointment takes a curveball and I've been such a good friend with disappointment. I'm kind of open to what disappointment might say and now it becomes despair. And now I just feel like there is no hope. Someone says, God is good. Well, I believe that, but I'm not so sure about this particular thing and now I'm conflicted even whether or not God is good. And then it becomes, well, let's figure out how to make this into a doctrine. And we'll take a scripture, obscure scripture, out of context from 1 Corinthians 13, and we'll, we'll just say that it's all going to cease, and it's already ceased. That's where cessationism came from, and it became codified. And thankfully, that is, like I said, less and less Christians are believing that anymore. And people are holding on to the power of God and manifestations of God at work. Oh, hallelujah. Don't you realize that friendship with the worthy of God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. This is pretty serious. As it goes on to say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So here is... Here's what we can do about this great sort of dilemma, okay? Here's what we can do. We can humble ourselves before God. God, I don't get it, but I'm still going to believe in you. You're the creator. It doesn't matter how many dinosaur bones they find. I'm still going to believe you're the creator. (laughs) How it all happened, I'm not so sure, but I do know that there's a creator and his name is Jesus. All right. And, and Lord, if, if, my, if, I, if I pray for and fast and pray for someone that doesn't get healed and they end up going to heaven, I'm just going to believe that that's actually probably good for them. Not good for me, not so great for my faith. But they're actually literally in a better place for the most part. Uh, then it goes on to say, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Don't make friends with the devil. Don't make friends with the... With, with the uh, enticing, tempting ideas that he'll throw at you. Well, that person looked at me the wrong way. Oh, they don't like me. Oh, they're very judgmental. Oh, really? There's a pot calling somebody black here. No offense, Sarita. I just came from a place where I was the only white guy for miles and miles and miles. Come close to God and he will come close to you. Come close to God. Just trust him. Well, I'm not so sure. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've done. Come close to God. He'll fix you up. Don't wait until you're ready to come close to God. Won't happen. Just come close to God. In fact, that is how... You do the next two things. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. 
And come to God and He'll sort you out on the inside. He'll transform you into a believer if you come close to God. Oh, hallelujah. And God will sustain you. God will help you. And like it says here, God wants, God wants to be in fellowship with you. God wants, God wants to make his abode with you. God loves you. But when we make friends with all these other things, it hinders us in our Christian experience. Let's not go there. Let's go, to, let's go the other way. Let's continue to believe God. God is good. God loves you. God's way is perfect. Amen. 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 Let's stand together, please. Said a lot this morning. There's a lot of material here. And I'd just like you to uh, consider, maybe everyone could just close your eyes for a moment, just open your heart to the Lord and if this is a if if there's something in in this message that has kind of connected with you in a certain way maybe it's just an affirmation of where you're going now maybe it's a total man i i got to change like right now maybe it's i've been doing fine but i want to do better whatever whatever hit you today if you'd like to respond with a just a yes to jesus can you just raise your hand right now i'd like to pray for you heavenly father Thank you for these people that have opened their life to you right now. They've just opened their lives. They've opened their heart to you. Some feel very um, very filled with despair. don't even know how they're going to go there. But, Lord, you can sort this all out. Lord, draw us. Draw us close to you. Draw us close to you. Lord, here we are in your presence. Here we are in your presence, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Can we have a keyboard, Dwight? Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we love you. We're here in your presence. It's our desire to serve you. It's our desire to be to be right with you. We don't want to make friends with all those things. We want to make friends with Jesus. And Lord, you love us and you made all things for us to enjoy. And there's lots of natural things in the world that you want us to be able to enjoy. But Father, I pray that you'll give us discerning hearts. Let purity and righteousness be our standard. God, we want to be your people. Come, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Make us new from the inside out. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. There's people that will pray with you up front. If you'd like me to pray with you, I'd be happy to do that. Just chase me down. We have coffee. Uh, Glad that you are here. Thank you for coming. Let's receive God's blessing. Lord, bless this people, I pray. May the Lord bless you 
and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you, may he be gracious unto you and give you peace in your laughter and your tears and your leisure and your work until we all stand to meet him on that great day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Next week, Zachariah, come on. It's going to be great.